Your Catholic drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you. Praise be to God. We have an awesome show lined up for you today. Very excited about it. But I hope your day is going to go really well. We're going to be praying for your day here in a moment. Uh, Lots to talk about in the news, of course. For the second and the first time ever in American history, a president has been uh, impeached twice. Not likely the Senate will actually go through with the trial, but nonetheless, we're making history here. <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting year, 2021, but God's grace is with us, and His will be done in all things. Uh, Emily Alcaraz is here this morning with the latest in breaking news. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Praise God, I'm alive. That counts. Yes, it does. Yes, yes it does. does. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots to talk about in the news, I guess, huh? Oh, yeah, always. Lots of news from the U.S. Uh, lots of pro-life news is what we have today. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Praise God. I think Teresa Kamara will be on our show uh, tomorrow to give us the pro-life update, I think. So that'll be exciting. Uh, but today on the program, Dr. Joseph Stewart is going to be on. We're going to be talking about the Enlightenment and maybe a little bit of the French Revolution and how those two events in history, those periods of time in history, might have contributed mightily to our current crazy situation, to the to the difficulties we face before us in family life and the society around us. We'll be talking with Dr. Joseph Stewart about that in this uh, hour. Plus, a saint of the day, gospel of the day. We'll also have the what's concerning us section. There are several stories there that I have. I don't know about you guys, but... I found plenty of stories to uh, to get to get me all uh, worked up, so to speak. Uh, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Morning, Joe. Praise God. Anything in uh, on your radar today that uh, you might be bringing up later? Oh man, there's so many things. Uh, we'll see if we ever even get to me. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever get there, eh? All right. Well, let's get to it. Uh, praise be to God. Uh, lots to talk about today in the first hour. If at all you're able to join us in the second hour, we surely would love to have you. There's a Catholic writing contest for Lent that I am participating in. We'll be discussing that in the next hour, plus the game show and all the rest. But let's start this hour off with our prayer. Uh, whatever your intentions are, I'm going to include those, dear listener, in our prayer today. Uh, I'm praying for my family and for our team here, our equipment, our show, and all the rest, asking for God's grace and mercy and provision for our radio apostolates across the Stations of the Cross and the Guadalupe Radio Network. So let's ask Our Lady to whisper these intentions, your intentions, into the ear of her divine Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. President Donald Trump is now the first American president to have been impeached twice. The House of Representatives voted on Wednesday afternoon to impeach President Donald Trump, charging him with incitement of insurrection and claiming that his rhetoric surrounding the 2020 election 
roused a mob of his supporters to storm the U.S. Capitol last week as Congress convened to certify President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College victory. The resolution was approved by a vote of 232 to 197 after all Democratic members of the House and 10 Republicans voted in favor of impeaching the president. If the impeachment article is withheld until after Senate control flips to the Democrats on January 20th, a trial could potentially be held after Trump has already left office. A federal appeals court heard arguments on whether public public university officials can be held personally liable for religious discrimination. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments on Wednesday in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship versus University of Iowa. The case of a Christian group kicked off the school's campus because of its faith-based policy requiring leaders to be Christians. In 2018, InterVarsity Christian was notified by the university that its standards violated the school's non-discrimination policy. Daniel Bloomberg, senior counsel at Beckett, the law firm defending InterVarsity Christian, said, University officials who target individuals or groups based on religion must be held accountable for their actions. Legislators in North Dakota introduced a bill that would force priests to break the sacramental seal of confession in cases of abuse. The bill, called SB 2180, would amend the law that to, would amend that law to abolish the exception that allows priests to keep the seal of confession. If it's passed, priests who failed to report child abuse, even if revealed in the confessional, would be considered guilty of a misdemeanor and could face jail time. Priests are bound by canon law and divine law to keep the contents of a confession confidential and are not even allowed to reveal whether or not a confession took place. According to canon law, violating the seal of confession could incur an excommunication. Australia's financial crime watchdog is now saying it vastly overestimated the Vatican transfers. An Australian newspaper reported yesterday that the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre, a government agency, attributed the miscalculation to a computer coding error. Working with the Vatican's Supervisory and Financial Information Authority, Austrac found that there were 362 transfers from the Vatican to Australia between 2014 and 2020, amounting to about $7.4 million. Austrac had originally believed that over $91 million were sent from Australia to the Vatican in this time period. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, blessed Devasayam, pray for us. Blessed Devasayam of Pillai, our Pillai, he was uh, born in 1712, April 23rd, of a high caste Hindu family. He knew multiple languages. He studied the martial arts, archery, one of my favorite things to do, and uh, he held a civil service job. All things were going very well for him. Uh, but in 1741, he met a French prisoner of war who shared his Catholic faith with him. And as a result, he was convinced to come into the Catholic Church. In fact, he was baptized 1745 in the Diocese of Qatar in India, and he took the name of Devasahayam, which means Lazarus. And well, Lazarus began to mix with the lower classes, and this was strictly forbidden in the time in India. And he would share his Catholic faith with all. But he was arrested on the 23rd of February, 1749, uh, for doing so, for trying to convert others to Christianity. They tortured him for three days. And then they began to haul him around from village to village to make a public example out of him uh, to sort of uh, say, hey, you should not convert to Christianity. 
He was, of course, uh, put it back into prison and priests would secretly bring him communion. He was shot by firing squad on the 14th of January, 1752, martyred for the faith. His body thrown on a pile of rocks left for animals to devour him. What remained of his body was recovered and was buried in front of the altar at St. Francis in Qatar, India. It would be Pope Francis who would canonize him on February the 21st, 2020. Blessed Devasahayam, pray for us. And the gospel comes to us today from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to him and kneeling down begged him and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then, warning himself stern, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed, that that will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in all things. Uh, we've, we've read this version of this in Matthew's Gospel not all that long ago. In fact, we talked about the leprosy, especially in a time of pandemic, and how powerful this passage is for Jesus to uh, want to heal people, but to touch them in particular. And then, of course, adhering to the Mosaic Law perfectly, because well, you know the law was still in full force at this point. The, until the once-for-all perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, when he is not only just dies on the cross, but then is resurrected and ascends to heaven, that the law is fulfilled, and therefore uh, the new covenant is, uh, is with us, and that's what we're living in now. So it's a powerful uh, look into this one gospel passage to see how our Lord is keeping the Mosaic Law perfectly at the same time, making it clear that the kingdom of God is at hand, which is one of the points here that I wanted to bring out is why does Jesus continually tell people, don't say anything, don't say anything? Well, I think uh, the fathers of the church will often say Jesus would not want to depend upon the testimony of man. Think about the temptation towards sensationalism. Think about the temptations that the devil himself gave to Jesus when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, taking him up onto high places. I can give you the kingdoms. I can give it all to you. The temptation to, to become that political, earthly, worldly ruler probably was very great. But Jesus avoids these temptations. He avoids the near occasions of sin and doesn't want to rely upon the testimony of man, let alone devils, because he doesn't just come to heal us. He doesn't just come to care for our material and physical needs. The greater and more important role is to save our souls and to bring us into eternity, into the beatific vision. Uh, Emily, Adrian, anything? Yeah, so again, we've talked about this before, but in Jewish culture, according to their to their uh, faith, if you touched someone who was unclean with leprosy, you would also be made unclean. And so Christ is showing us, of course, that he's a beyond uncleanness, that he is supernatural, and that, in fact, he reverses the process, and he makes others clean instead of them making him unclean. And I also... <coughs> 
I like the fact that that he Christ is always telling people not to spread the miracles because why he's working alongside our free will as human beings. If God revealed himself to us in his entirety and directly, first of all, we would probably die. Um, <laughs> second of all, what our free will, we wouldn't have the freedom to choose to belong to him and to have faith in him. Because as we know, those with the beatific vision, um, I mean, if you know the fullness of God's goodness and mercy and truth, then you wouldn't be able to choose otherwise. Amen. Uh, so the one thing that I just wanted to focus on was the fact that, so in the Douay Rames in verse 45, it reads, in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And so Thomas Aquinas talks about in uh, citing this, he refers to, obviously he didn't read the Douay Rames, he was reading the Vulgate, <laughs> uh, but the... Um, Whenever he talks about this, he's talking about how they were so puffed up with pride, the people in the city, because it wasn't that he couldn't enter any city. He could no longer enter into that city, which he had just been performing miracles at. And he said the reason why is because the people there became so puffed up with pride due to the fact that he was doing miracles there. And so he retreated into the desert instead. So this is also an indictment on the sin of pride that this needs to be like, uh, and th- this is a, a very big trap for us here at the studio because, mm-hmm. uh, being having a voice, uh, is always a, uh, something that a, someone need, you need to guard yourself against the sin of pride. But that's why I hired you, Adrian, to keep me humble. Oh, is that why I'm here? Yeah, and you're doing a good job. Oh, so well, that's congratulations. Good. But don't let that go to your head, okay? <laughs> you know, what I used to do a lot of apologetics work back in the, back in the day, so to speak. And you know what? To sort of demonstrate from a scriptural standpoint uh, the typology of the Catholic priesthood in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, these would be this would be one of the verses that I would even sort of uh, point out. Look how Jesus himself continues to show that the priest had a role, had an intercessory role. The person whom he, God incarnate in flesh, makes clean. He sends him, according to the law, to the priest. And, and you know, if you go back to Leviticus, you'll actually see a sort of a, a, a foreshadowing of the, confe- the sacrament of reconciliation or confession there in the Old Testament, where the sinner would have to go to the priest, present the prescribed offering, and you know, if you murdered somebody versus you stole something, the sacrifice can get either big or smaller as a result to your actual sin. So you'd have to tell the priest these things and he would make the sacrifice. It's a foreshadowing of that sacramental priesthood that Christ institutes. It's a beautiful thing. And you see them in little gems and passages just like this. So praise be to God in all things. Stick around. We're going to have the What's Concerning Us section, including... We're going to talk about the president's words last night, his warning. All that's coming up on the other side of this break. More Catholic Drive Time is coming up right after this. A skeptic once engaged me in conversation saying, yeah, I'm skeptical about everything. To which I replied, are you skeptical about that? And I actually got a chuckle out of his girlfriend standing nearby. You see, the claim, I doubt everything, refutes itself. If a skeptic doubts everything, well then he must doubt the claim, I doubt everything. Which of course is the same as saying, I doubt that I doubt everything. This is absurd. If a skeptic doubts his own assertion, I doubt everything, well then why even put it forward? Suppose my skeptic friend retorted, no, I'm certain I doubt everything. Well this wouldn't help him either because there would be one thing he doesn't doubt, namely the claim, I doubt everything. No matter how a radical skeptic approaches his skepticism, whether he doubts it or affirms it, he ends in a self-contradiction. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. She's having a relationship with George. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean, in the What's Concerning Us section today. Let me start off with um, the President's words last night in a video released through the White House. You know, he's been deplatformed, so he's no, long, no longer allowed to speak. He's been not only deplatformed, um, Deutsche Bank has said, we will no longer do business with Donald Trump ever. Uh, Stripe says, we, he can't use our service to process payments ever. Um, and there are others. It's a total deplatforming, and it's very fascinating to me to see that we're living in a day and an age where uh, you can't, you're not allowed to do business or to live or to exist. That's what we're, that's what we're facing. It's very dangerous, in my opinion. Even if you dislike or you totally believe Donald Trump did incite violence, even if you believe that, I don't think you want to live in a world where big tech or, or corporate uh, giants can uh, make or break the rest of your life. Uh, dangerous. Even even uh, Jack Dorsey made very similar comments to that in his Twitter last night. That this this is not uh, this is not necessarily a good thing. And he's the one who deplatformed Donald Trump. But let me just talk about some of the words he mentioned in his video last night because he was for the first president in U.S. history impeached twice. Um, and this is what he said in his video last night. He never even talked about the impeachment. He didn't mention anything about the impeachment in his little video. He says, uh, quote, as I have said, the incursion at the U.S. Capitol struck at the very heart of our republic. It angered and appalled millions of Americans across the political spectrum. He goes on to say, I want to be very clear. I unequivocally condemn the violence that we saw last week. Violence and vandalism have absolutely no place in our country and no place in our movement. Making America great again has always been about defending the rule of law, supporting the men and women of law enforcement, and upholding our nation's most sacred traditions and values. He goes on to say, mob violence goes against everything I believe in and everything our movement stands for. No true supporter of mine could ever endorse political violence, said Donald Trump. He also says, there has been reporting that additional demonstrations are being planned in the coming days, both here and Washington and across the country. I have been briefed by the U.S. Secret Service on the potential threats. Every American deserves to have their voice heard in a respectful and peaceful way. That is your First Amendment right. But I cannot emphasize that there must be no violence, no law-breaking, and no vandalism of any kind. Everyone must follow our laws and obey the instructions of law enforcement, said Donald Trump. He goes on to say, there are, these are tense and difficult times. The efforts to censor, cancel, blacklist our fellow citizens are wrong, and they are dangerous. What is needed now is for us to listen to one another, not to silence one another. All of us can choose by our actions to, ri to rise above the rancor, uh, 
and find common ground and shared purpose, said Donald Trump. Uh, I find it fascinating, Emily, Adrian, I find it fascinating that he never even bothered to mention the fact that he made history yesterday, being the, the first president ever to be impeached twice. What do you guys think about this? I've heard reports that he was actually really upset about it, but uh, d- the fact that he didn't address it, I'm not sure why. Um, but I-, I know that many of his supporters are um, not not actually upset about the fact that he's been impeached twice. They see it as a symptom of the system that he's you know supposedly fighting against. And so uh, many of them were like, of course this would happen. And perhaps that's the same attitude that the president himself has. Well, I think it was an opportunity for him to... Uh, to maybe voice his his feelings, he's, which he's you know inclined to do and has done countless times as president of the United States on not only on Twitter or but on just on video itself, uh, and yet he remained poised and uh, and spoke directly about uh, the potential for even more violence. I found that um, I don't know very in, very presidential, in fact. Yeah, I I was talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday on Instagram. He was messaging me. We were talking back and forth. And he was just like, you know, it just blows my mind how Donald Trump just never condemns any of the violence. And he's just like blatantly against all of this. Um, and I and I just struck it just struck me that I mean, people just don't realize that uh, the president of the United States has come out multiple times uh, condemning the violence. And he really it seems as though that he actually really wants peace in America. No matter what you think about him, whether what you disagree without him, he seems like he genuinely wants to have peace. So. One of the things he's mentioning, he's referencing in his uh, his video last night. I think you can find the video, by the way, on C-SPAN. Um, there's these flyers that have been passed around all over the country, sort of calling Americans to bring their guns to the capitals of all their states and to Washington, D.C. for this final protest on the day that uh, Joe Biden will be inaugurated as president of the United States. And uh, Donald Trump is saying, don't come, don't do this. Do not do this. Um, it's it's a trap, is what he's really saying. He didn't say those words, but you know they're they're trying to trap you. So don't do this peaceful protest. You know, make your voice heard. That's your First Amendment right. But we don't have a right to violence uh, in this way. We don't uh, we don't uh, want to engage in lawless criminal behavior. And I think that's uh, that was very good. He could have used the opportunity to say what he said many times about his uh, about the election results or or the future of our country or how he felt he's been treated. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he focused and he uh, he called America to come together to be peaceful. Uh, because if you believe America should be great again, then you don't want to be uh, about violence and anarchy because that's not the mode. That's not the proper mode. So I, I found it very fascinating, and I just wonder, and the reason why I find this fascinating, partly, is because I wonder how many people actually saw the video. Because mm-hmm. now that he's been de- deplatformed, how many people are watching C-SPAN? How, how many news outlets covered this story? I just, I'm just very curious if our audience has even seen this video at all, heard about it or whatnot. So I felt it was worthy of talking about today. And again, if you... Um, the, the Our nation's capital... Is, has now has you know soldiers guarding it all the way until the 23rd 
I mean, it's, it's the military presence there and their mission is far beyond just keeping the peace. They have like, they have like a, a pretty, uh, intense mission in our nation's capital and they can do quite a bit. So, um, these are intense times and a peaceful calmness, I think, is the order of the day. And I want to say, after watching that video, I, that is exactly what Donald Trump asked for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What yeah. else, what else is on your radar? Well, to add, to, just to add on one more thing to that. Um, the fact that the president is repeatedly calling for peace and he's being censored so that the media and people are claiming that he's not calling for peace and that he's actually inciting more violence. The Daily Wire put out a video of other uh, people in government who literally incited violence this past year and called for violence. We saw um, th- people like Maxine Waters saying uh, calling for violence against Trump supporters, saying push them around. Uh, even like celebrities such as Madonna said, I want to blow up the White House. We are hearing vi- yes. incitements of violence from celebrities from the left. Right. But when the president is, is calling for peace, he's censored. And so it's just very backwards. I know. And I, I've said this, I don't know, a few times now, at least on this show. But I'll say it again because I think it's worth saying. When I was listening to Dan Bongino describe the attack on the White House from Antifa and BLM rioters, and the intensity and their command and control, their coordinated efforts to pierce the, the, the fences of, our, of the White House and to, in, and to breach it, um, it felt really intense. Watching the video of, the, of Antifa members pelting police officers in Chicago with uh, frozen water bottles in a command and con- coordinated way. And to see that gets a pass. There's no persecution there. I mean, there's no prosecution is what I want to say. There's no arrest. There's no prosecutions for any of that. But, you know, the, uh, the attack on the uh, nation's capital, which I also said is, was right. wrong we're not and criminal. Saying, we're not saying they're both okay. We're saying they're both wrong. Both so wrong. let's treat, condemn them both equally. But they're not being treated right. equally. And that's, I think, an injustice, you know. So both are wrong. I totally agree. I said that the very next day on this show. But uh, and we're, we're seeing a lopsided approach. And just that, as a father, that means our future is, uh, is uh, now a little more uncertain. And as a father with kids who have to grow up in that, I'm obviously concerned. Uh, you know, it's fascinating because we are talking about sort of censorship and deplatforming and to see, uh, to see Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, come out today and sort of make this what seemed at first to be a sympathetic statement, uh, about deplatforming, uh, of, uh, of Donald Trump, I found that very fascinating. However, there's an article, we'll link to it, we're linking to all of our stories over on facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time, by the way. There's a story on Crisis Magazine, a little article written in regards to this by Jason Morgan. Again, we'll link to it at facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. I'm just going to quote one paragraph to this because I found it very interesting. It says, quote, to put it bluntly, Twitter is the essence of Protest- Protestantism. It is rooted in no true principles, relies solely on the blunt force trauma of mobbing gang up against non-conformers, has a totalitarian prickliness for doctrinal purity in direct and inverse proportion to the inscrutability of what is being professed. In other words, it is intolerant precisely insofar as it is woke. And it relies on all three satanic principles of Lutheran revolt against God, sola fide, sola scriptura, and sola gratia. If you are tweeting, you are being groomed to join the thoroughly Protestant modernity when it ought to be your Catholic pleasure to defy at every turn. 
Twitter is Calvinism and sound bites. That is pretty hardcore. Whoa, whoa, oh. whoa, it just kept going. That was like a fire hose. Let's read that. Uh, I, you know, like it or lump it, I think you ought to read the article at any rate to see the further development of his argument there. And I'll link to it at uh, facebook.com forward slash Catholic drive time. But uh, we're definitely living in the most diverse, uh, divisive times, what I wanted to say, uh, that we that I ever have. And therefore, cooler heads shall prevail. So in spite of the crazy, we must remain cool and at peace and in a state of grace, right? Because uh, we don't know what's coming. We don't know how many days we have left on planet Earth. And we have no control over the future. So, you know, calling us to a state of grace, I think, is the best order of the day. Uh, a couple of minutes before we go to break, any other stories uh, that you had on your radar? Uh, yeah, so we have about one minute before uh, we go to break, but the uh, one thing that was concerning me at uh, 1 Peter 5, Steve Skojek put out an article talking about the drop in mass attendance. He said that before in the 19, uh, 1970, the 50% of American Catholics were ma- going to Sunday Mass every Sunday. Uh, in the 2000s, it dropped to 20%. After COVID-19, this last year, the number dropped to below 5%. Um, and after they have relinquished the a lot of the restrictions, is only risen to below ten percent, and they're not. And it's really disconcerting. The baptisms are lower. Everything is lower now. So I think this is the thing that should really concern us: that our faith has been been gutted. There's no people are not going to church. People are not giving to their parishes anymore. So right. parishes are shutting down left and right. Yeah, uh, this is not good. A lot of this stuff. I think this is very concerning that we should really uh, talk about. You know, I think it's Georgetown University who keeps the statistics like the uh, for the USCCB over the last 50 years. And you can Google that and you can look at them for yourselves and you can analyze them. And over the last 50 years, there is just a lot of very negative news. You know, parishes down, vocations down, uh, priestly and uh, religious, baptisms, marriages, all of the schools, all of it is down. There's a reason for that. How do you turn it around? By living in a state of grace and sharing the one true and holy Catholic and apostolic faith with your neighbors. That is their solution there. Let's uh, let's do that today. But don't go anywhere. We're going to come right back. We're going to have more breaking news and stories. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard people say that Christianity is barbaric? That it arose in ignorance? Well... G.K. Chesterton says that as a matter of historical fact, it didn't. It arose in the most civilized period the world has ever seen. It arose precisely at the intersection of three great civilizations, Athens, Rome, and Jerusalem. It combined the philosophy of the first two with the faith of the third. So what's the real reason the opponents of Christianity do not believe it? It's not because it's barbaric and ignorant. It's not even because it's civilized and sophisticated. It's because, as Chesterton says, opponents of Christianity would believe anything except Christianity. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. The universe is filled with order from top to bottom. And it's a beautiful order, and not only is it beautiful, it's order that we can actually comprehend. And it's almost as if we have been made to be able to comprehend that order in the universe, to be able to contemplate it so that we can see maybe that purpose behind it. Please visit Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, to watch this beautiful and important video about purpose in God's creation. That's M-A-G-I-S center.com. Praise be to Jesus. 
Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Do here in just a few minutes, we're going to have a great conversation with Dr. Joseph Stewart about uh, rethinking the Enlightenment, French Revolution. How have those two major historical events maybe created the environment, helped to, contributed to in a big way, the crazy that we may be seeing in our society today, affecting our friends, our family members? Well, we're going to have that conversation with Dr. Joseph Stewart here in just a few minutes. But before we jump into the headlines with Emily Alcarez, I want to remind you uh, to check us out on Rumble. We've started to do Rumble accounts so that way we can post our conversations there in order to avoid some of the censorship issues that we are, in fact, seeing on several platforms. Uh, but we are still going to remain on Facebook and on YouTube, on Twitter, as far as we as possible, but there's a mass exodus going on. Uh, so please, wherever platform that you prefer, the local radio station, praise be to God, can do contribute, contribute and stay connected to them. The Stations of the Cross, Guadalupe Radio Network, download their mobile apps. It's super important that you do that, especially given uh, the, the censorship challenges that we're all facing right now. Being on their email list is super important. If you want to get the audio version of our show on podcast, uh, grnonline.com forward slash CDT is a great place to do that. But Search for us on uh, YouTube and on Facebook and on Rumble today. That would be super helpful. But now, the headlines with Emily Alcarez. The governor of South Dakota is calling for a ban on Down syndrome abortions. Governor Kristi Noem received a standing ovation on Tuesday after she asked legislators to pass a law that would end the eugenic termination of babies with an extra chromosome. Other states in recent years, including Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, and Mississippi, have enacted bans on abortions conducted because of a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. South Dakota was one of the states to sign on to a brief supporting Tennessee's discrimination abortion ban before the courts. In November, 18 states supported Tennessee's law banning abortions based on the unborn child's race, sex, or Down syndrome diagnosis. The state of Texas will no longer provide Medicaid funds to abortion providers such as Planned Parenthood. A majority opinion of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued November 23rd ruled that abortion providers and their customers could not challenge Texas' decision to withhold Medicaid funds from Planned Parenthood. The state's determination of qualified Medicaid providers is between the state and the provider, the court ruled. A representative for the Texas bishops said, quote, We're grateful that Texas has finally taken the steps to fully remove abortion providers from all state Medicaid funding. The legislator has acted responsibly to remove funding from the state budget and the recent actions to complete the defunding are welcomed by the Catholic bishops in Texas. The only woman on federal death row was executed early on Wednesday morning. Lisa Montgomery received the death penalty despite her attorney's arguments that her severe mental illness rendered her unable to understand why she was being killed. Montgomery's attorney say her attorneys say she has brain damage and severe mental illness including a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, dissociative disorder, psychosis, and post-traumatic stress disorder associated with being a victim of abuse and human trafficking. Montgomery was sentenced to death for the 2004 murder of Bobby Jo Stinnett after cutting her baby out of the pregnant woman's body. Several U.S. bishops spoke out against Montgomery's execution and called for an end to the death penalty. In his general audience address yesterday, Pope Francis urged Catholics on Wednesday to praise God not only in happy times, but above all, in difficult moments. Continuing his catechesis on the different forms of prayer, the Holy Father said, quote, Giving praise is like breathing pure oxygen. 
It purifies the soul. It makes you look far ahead so as not to remain imprisoned in the difficult moment, in the darkness of difficulty. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, joining us right now uh, by a Zoom chat is Dr. Joseph Stewart, Associate Professor of History and Fellow of Catholic Studies at the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. He's got a book out called Rethinking the Enlightenment, and we wanted to have a conversation about how the Enlightenment and, and even the French Revolution are huge events in history, but might contribute to some of the things we're seeing in society today, affecting us in ways that we might not have even considered, and, uh, and what that means and what we can do about it. Dr. Joseph Stewart, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Can you hear me okay? Praise God. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, that's, what are you, like uh, 80 below zero right now and living in an ice <laughs> yeah, castle or something? 50 mile an hour winds last night and just, just crazy. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough winter. Praise be to God. I think it was like 40 when I got up there, I, 40, I that 40 was degrees a tough above. Winter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was freezing the whole time. Yeah. Well, at any rate, it's good to have you on the program today. Uh, you know, I, I know the, the average uh, listener to our program in trying to pay the mortgage, pay the bills, get the kids to school and back, and, and then have to manage a, a pandemic, the craziest election year in the history of their, our country, and all of the rest, probably doesn't think a lot about the Enlightenment uh, and or the French Revolution. And yet, these are pivotal events in history that really have contributed to our current times. Maybe you can start by telling us, just giving us the elevator uh, tour of the Enlightenment period. Sure, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'll just, I just want to start on a, on a light on a light note and just to remark that the Enlightenment was a time when everybody started drinking coffee. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. <laughs> well, there's one good thing. I'm going to write that down. Praise God. That's right. <laughs> newly, newly discovered, newly being imported, and coffee houses were spreading across the uh, the, the Western world. And people were shifting from drinking lots of alcohol, which is a depressant, to, to caffeine, which is a stimulant, and life has been sped up ever since. So, <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Praise God. <laughs> That's right. No, but, but seriously, it was a time uh, of literal enlightenment in the sense that the lights of the cities of Europe and America were, were coming on for the first time. Street lighting was, was, you know, was casting aside the darkness, and so people felt uh, an excitement. In the in the 18th century, in the 1700s, the possibilities of of science and technology and sort of reason and um, that we can improve our lives in this world in real ways. Um, but you know, sometimes we we think about the Enlightenment as something as a, just an attack on the faith. And um, what I what I've discovered is, is that there were a lot of ways Christians responded to and interacted with the with the Enlightenment. And that's what I wanted to write this, this book about is say, well, okay, how did, how did Christians actually deal with this challenging environment? How did they interact with it? How did they conflict with it? Just what did they do? And so that, that's how this book, Rethinking the Enlightenment, Faith in the Age of Reason, published by Sophia Institute Press just a couple months ago, that's how this book came about. Mm. There's a, the French Revolution in particular was, uh, I think, has gotten a pass in many, uh, many schools and, you know, history classes. I, history was always my favorite subject. And I can remember in high school, let alone college, you know, you get this sort of sanitized version of these type big periods, Enlightenment or the French Revolution. 
And yep. yet, when we study them, uh, you know, with uh, from scholarly works, you actually see that oh wow, there's a lot more teeth to these type these time periods, and a lot more concerning issues in these time periods. And we see the remnants of these uh, sort of in our day and an age, and maybe in ways that we haven't even thought about or considered uh, the age of enlightenment, or or the uh, the the giving over to reason and then giving away faith. Right? We see in many scho- in many circles in scripture study. Well, it was. Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes, it was the sharing of the people. And so we see yep. a sort of a desanitizing of even miracles from even sacred scripture, let alone uh, science and faith and in, in, in academia and other places. Um, tell us about that. How, does that. how did that actually happen? How did we get here from there? Yeah. Sure. Well, let me just say a few words about the French Revolution, which started in 1789. Just one of the greatest, largest events of modern history, for sure. In fact, it's really where this terminology of like right and left politics that we use today, that's where it comes from, is from the French Revolution and this beginning of sort of like ideological politics and this desire to kind of make heaven on earth. Um, in, in, In a secular sense that this comes from the French Revolution. And it was just an intense time. Uh, one of the, the great stories that I start off my book with that I love about the French Revolution is the, is the witness of the Carmelites of Compiègne, oh. who, who many of us have heard of, the 16 Carmelites, incredible women who were sentenced to death because of their faith. Mm. And they processed through the streets of Paris to their execution by guillotine. But in this in this story, it, it was different. Normally, when people went to the guillotine, the, the crowds were screaming at them and yelling and throwing things. But this time... The crowds were completely silent as they listened to these women singing Compline, the Office of the Dead, the Psalms, the Salve Regina, walking through the streets toward their execution. And, and one by one, Joe, there was, you know, one last voice, one last voice. They kept singing even while the members of their entire community were being, were being executed. And people watched this scene and were just incredibly moved by it. There were vocations that came out of this moment about, you know, from other people. And they offered their lives for the end of the French Revolution and the end of the, the persecution of the church in France. And 10 days later, the reign of terror ended and the, and the man who organized it himself was guillotined, Robespierre. Wow. So God, heard the, God heard the prayers. And if I'm yeah. not mistaken, that community actually prayed. Before that moment, they prayed uh, when the violence uh, broke out and the violence I think most people have really no understanding of the level of intensity and violence that was a part of the French Revolution, the very anti-Catholic, anti-God violence that took place in the French. I mean, most of us who've studied the French Revolution in school probably never got even a glimpse of what would actually happen. And these, these ladies, these sisters, they actually prayed before they were ever arrested, before they were ever executed, they prayed to offer themselves as a sacrifice to end right. the violence. And uh, what you just described is very powerful, very powerful. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they really witnessed to a kind of conflict because they were certainly in conflict with the, with the world around them, with the regime, yeah. but a peaceful conflict that absorbed okay. the violence like Christ did. And, that and that thought. brought about a deeper kind of change. Uh, we're talking to jo- Dr. Joseph Stewart uh, from St. Mary's in Bismarck about rethinking the Enlightenment, how it affects us today. That's going to be the conversation on the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more on this with Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. The Enlightenment, the French Revolution, does it really affect us? We're going to have that conversation next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. 
Sometimes it can seem that our family life is humdrum, monotonous, and insignificant. But Christ began His public ministry at the wedding at Cana. When we read this account in the Gospel, we're reminded that our marriage, our ordinary family life, is important to God. Our Lord and Our Lady love our families, and they are present with us. They desire to change what is ordinary into the extraordinary. The Lord can take our simple and everyday tasks and make them holy. Like the servants at the wedding at Cana, we need to notice when we run out of wine, when we run out of joy, when we run out of love. It is then that we turn to Our Lady and ask for her help. She can bring Christ into our lives, our ordinary water, and transform it into wine. And when we invite Christ into our lives to transform us, He creates the best wine of all. For more advice, ideas, and encouragement, visit us at MessyFamilyProject.org. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardo Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Joining us again by uh, Zoom chat, Dr. Joseph Stewart, Associate Professor of History and Fellow Catholic Studies at the University of uh, Mary in Bismarck, talking about his uh, book, Rethinking of the Enlightenment, having a conversation about the Enlightenment and the French Revolution is what we were talking about before the break, but really how it, how it comes to our day and comes to our home and affects us. Emily, I know you had some questions. Yeah, so um, the French Revolution, if you're, if you're looking at the Enlightenment from a Christian perspective, you often see this as the root of all atheism and the secularism that has completely taken over our culture today. But in your book, you actually, uh, in a way, you play devil's advocate and you say, no, this also brought some good to the church in, as well. And I find it really fascinating that you speak about the new evangelization taking place in the 18th century. And of course, this is something that we often connect with John Paul II in the recent decades. But can you explain about the new evangelization in the 18th century? Yeah, for sure. So the, the overall argument of the book is, is that Christians interacted with the Enlightenment in three ways. The first, through conflict. And we can see that in, this, in the Carmelites of Compiègne that I was talking about earlier, for sure. But in other ways, Christians engaged with the Enlightenment, and we can talk about that in a few minutes. And then the third way they was retreat. So they sort of retreated back, just sort of ignoring it, and just want to build up the faith from within their homes, within the church. And part of that effort, of course, is through media um, and through printing and publishing and things, but otherwise through evangelization. And the, the great evangelists of the age, of the 1700s, um, in the, uh, like Louis de Montfort in, in Western France, um, whose company of Mary gave hundreds of missions, building up the faith there. Or, you know, on the Protestant side, amongst Christians, the John Wesley in the English-speaking world um, had a profound influence that um, crossed the Atlantic Ocean and affected even us here in the United States and the Great Awakening and our, our, our revolution and things. And, and so the book, yeah, it studies like the strategies, like how did these, these people, these, these great preachers, these great missionaries, how did they bring the gospel to, to the people? And, and they would go out, I mean, they didn't have radio, but they could speak to 20 to 30,000 people without microphones by, by choosing a location that had the right acoustics. So they would be preaching, they'd be forming little religious societies, 
Um, they would be sing, teaching hymns. Uh, the Wesleys, uh, you know, wrote thousands of hymns, some of which Catholics sing, you know, at Christmas time and Easter time to this day. Um, and so this changed culture. I mean, the, the late 1700s in many ways in the English speaking world were actually more Christian than the early 1700s. So there's sort of a, a reversal of, of secularization that happened because of this profound uh, outflowing of the Holy Spirit, both in the Catholics and among the Protestants. Wow, that's so fascinating, because you would expect actually the complete opposite to happen, is if right. the 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 Enlightenment was so godless, then there should be a decrease in religiosity, but there was actually an increase. So, that's right. And, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add to that, that, yeah, you're right, and and I think that one of the reasons for that is because Christians were also aggressively engaging the Enlightenment. They saw what is important, what was important in it. And um, so just a couple of examples here. This is the middle part of the book about the, what's called the Catholic Enlightenment, which is a phase of Christian history that we've almost totally forgotten um, because of this general impression that the Enlightenment was completely bad. And I'm arguing that no, it wasn't completely bad. There was such a thing as a Catholic Enlightenment that historians have been discovering and writing about for the last 15 to 20 years. And my book is just one to kind of bring together a lot of their work. Um, but one great example of the Catholic Enlightenment was Pope Benedict the Fourteenth. Now, I think there's a reason that our Pope Benedict the, the 16th, uh, beloved, uh, picked, picked his name Benedict, and it haunts back to Pope Benedict XIV of the Enlightenment. He was known as the Enlightenment Pope, and he was a great sponsor of the sciences, of medicine, of anatomy, and two other areas that are really fascinating. One is uh, of women scholars. So the Catholic Enlightenment provided a space for women to excel in academia. And in fact, the first female professor in, in history was a devout Catholic woman whose career was forwarded by the Pope at the University of Bologna. Her name was Laura Bossi. I have a section on her in the, in the book. And um, so this was a really fascinating part of the Catholic Enlightenment where the, the Enlightenment itself could be devout and intelligent. Uh, but the other area that Pope Benedict XIV had a major influence on uh, was museums. And the, the Vatican museums really stem from this time period and his efforts to preserve the past and this kind of like empirical scientific mentality of the Enlightenment to want to preserve facts about Christian history, about the early church, and but also pagan art and the great works of, of Roman and Greek art and things should be preserved uh, to inspire our humanity and also inspire our faith. And that's also a great legacy of this Catholic Enlightenment that I'm talking about. You mentioned the... Um the sort of promotion of of women that happened in, during the Catholic Enlightenment, I find that really fascinating because really the, the world was moving past the church. The, I mean, feminism was taking over the culture, and we needed to be able to combat that within the church, like this, total, this uh, forgetting of authentic femininity. And really, without the Enlightenment, I feel as though we wouldn't have had these profound philosophers like Alice von Hildebrand, Edith Stein, who went really in depth to talk about femininity. And there's a story about in your book about the friar, a Catholic friar who was arguing that women were, you know, mentally or intellectually inferior. And that just wasn't going to fly in the culture. So can you talk a little bit more about what the Catholic Enlightenment did for women? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this Laura Bassi, she was a physicist. She's one of the first in Italy to um, to demonstrate the ideas of Isaac Newton. And uh, she had eight children. Uh, she taught from home oftentimes. Uh, students would come to the house. And uh, Pope Benedict XIV uh, supported her career. And um, she was a woman of, of faith and of reason. And when she got up to get, defend her doctoral dissertation, the first, actually the second woman ever to do so, the first woman to become a professor, 
um, the there was a friar there who made fun of her and, and used scripture to try to prove the inferiority of women's intelligences. And Pope Benedict the Fourteenth was just an archbishop at that time. He was very upset. And privately, he called him Friar Ass because he was very <laughs> upset at this friar for abusing scripture, you know, against women in this way. And um, so the, the Catholic Enlightenment opened up um, a space before the later feminist writers. Um, the, the Catholics were actually the first to, to do this, including the Benedictine. His name was um, Benito Feiju. He was a Spanish Benedictine. He also wrote about the dignity of women and how we need to. There was a lot of misogynism in how the Bible was read at that time. So we need to reinterpret Genesis and we not, not sort of blame women for the fall. Um, he, he, he said, well, it, you know, it took, a, it took the devil to trick a woman, but it only took a woman to trick the man. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, yeah. So this, this Catholic enlightenment, which was inspired, um, partly by the council of, of Trent and the focus on freedom, um, but also the great, um, our lady, of course, um, but also surprisingly like Descartes and the, and the philosophy of Descartes, which was very much focused on the, the mind made people realize, well, if the mind is distinct from the body and women have minds, then there must be a fundamental equality between the sexes. And the Catholic Enlightenment really forwarded that. We're talking with uh, Dr. Joseph Stewart from uh, University of Mary in Bismarck about the, uh, his book, uh, Rethinking the Enlightenment, which, we, again, we were, we were linking to all the articles in, the, in his book as well over on Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Uh, you can find that there. But uh, we're having this conversation about the Enlightenment, and really, I want to. We have about uh, I don't know four minutes, five minutes left in our conversation with you. Um, can we? I want to bring this back down to the very practical level of of the of the people at home who are just working through all of the crazy in our society today. Uh, how do they? How can this information really help them better understand? Because I, I, one of the things that I really see is they're trying to make sure that their kids can make it through college and still be Catholic. Which is a major problem in a in our world today, and because yeah. the it's I think it's the Enlightenment and French Revolution and their ideas that have really infected modern university and, and thinking. Uh, what say you, Doctor Joseph Stewart? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess you know one thing is that when one of the main reasons people leave the faith is because they see this dichotomy between faith and reason. And they see that as sort of a conflict. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a really big problem. And I think actually studying the, the Enlightenment correctly and when we see how Christians were engaging the sciences in, in so many fascinating ways and that faith and reason go together. Uh, this is a main project of this of this book that I've written, uh, Rethinking the Enlightenment, Faith in the Age of Reason by Sophia Institute Press. I think that is just a real practical way to help us maintain our faith in a, in a modern world that, that loves science, but doesn't always see how it connects to faith. And I think the Christians in the 18th century did a really good job of, of linking those two things. So that'd be, that'd be one point I'd give you. Uh, another point is just that one of the legacies of the 18th century is this coffee house mentality that I, that I sort of started off with, that people believed that, that sociability was really important for our humanity. And so they would go into coffee houses, sit down and just start talking with random people about life and what's going on, trying to understand people from their point of view and also practicing a kind of code of ethics. There was sort of like a politeness, polite sociability, it was called during the Enlightenment. And I think this is an important legacy for us today in our, in our very divisive world and trying to understand other people on their own terms and realizing that it's not a winner take all here. We can learn from each other and um, we can engage with each other and in, in some fun and sophisticated kinds of ways. I think this is an important legacy for us. Dr. Stewart, we have about three minutes left. I wanted to ask about, you know, one of the three points that you talk about in your book. The last one is retreat. And this actually, when I read about it, it reminds me a lot of 
uh, this thing we hear about now called the Benedict Option. So could you yeah. expand a little bit on the retreat option that Catholics took on and how it's kind of resurfaced today? Two minutes. So the book is trying to look at how did Christians interact with the Enlightenment, right? And so there was three ways they did it. One was sort of they, they butted heads, they conflicted, right, with the Carmelites of Compiègne. The other was that they sort of overlapped. They, they engaged with each other, like the Enlightenment Pope, Pope Benedict Fourteenth, right? Well, the third is just that they ignored each other, right? And so Christians just stepped back and said, look, let's just... Let's just ignore kind of what's going on in the, in the surrounding culture. Sure, it's important, but we're going to focus on our households. This idea of a household was really important in the 18th century. I talk a lot about that. Let's focus on our households, our religious societies, our churches, where we teach the faith, we pass on the faith. I mean, this is what you guys are doing here so so beautifully through your radio program. I mean, this is the retreat strategy that we use today to build up the faith from within. And so I just wanted to look at what that looked like in the in the 18th century and uh, what I found, of course, was that the household was the building block. And but I use it as a metaphor. It was like, you know, at night in the 18th century, the husband of the house would go around and lock all the doors. Right. And make secure the windows and <laughs> mm-hmm. throw I still the do. And, yeah, I, me too. Me too. Yeah, and it's, this is a symbol of like guarding the thresholds of yeah. of the house, but also of Christian culture. All right. And that's that's for today. All right, that's going to have to do it. Uh, That music means we are having to say goodbye, Dr. Joseph Stewart, uh, Rethinking the Enlightenment. Thank you so much for being on the program with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, stay warm. God bless. Uh, Thank you. Praise be to God. That's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. I want to give a special shout-out to one of our top fans, Patty. Hangs out with us every morning for the first hour, but uh, she can't hang out with us for the next hour because I think she goes to Holy Mass. So praise God. Thank you, Patty, for being a part of our program. Delia, I see you there hanging out with us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash GRN online. Kay Tall, it's good to see you again. Praise God. If you can join us in the next hour, we would love to have you. We're going to have a conversation about a Catholic writing contest coming up in Lent. All that plus so much more on Catholic Drive Time is still to come. God love you. Thank you for joining us on your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Why do Protestants not believe John 6 when it says that Jesus' flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink? I don't know. In Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, Jesus says of the bread, this is my body. He says of the wine, this is my blood. Not this is symbolic of or this represents. He says this is. In John 6, he repeats himself like he does nowhere else in Scripture to emphasize the fact that he expects us to eat his flesh and drink his blood and that his flesh is real food and that his blood is real drink. Anyone who says he is speaking symbolically and not literally simply is refusing to look at all the facts. Fact number one, the Jews took him literally. We see that in verse 52. Fact number two, his disciples took him literally. We see that in verse 60. Fact number three, the apostles took him literally. Verses 67 to 69. If everyone who heard him speak at the time took him literally, then my question is, why does anyone today, 2,000 years after the fact, take him symbolically? Also, in verse 51 of John 6, Jesus says that the bread which he will give for the life of the world is his flesh. When did he give his flesh for the life of the world? On the cross. Was that symbolic? 
If you think Jesus is speaking symbolically here when he says that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood, then you must also conclude that Jesus' death on the cross was only symbolic. It wasn't really Jesus hanging up there. It was symbolic flesh and symbolic blood. Jesus is clearly talking about the flesh that he gave for the life of the world. He did that on the cross. Those who believe he is talking symbolically here in John 6 have a real problem when it comes to John 6, verse 51. Did Jesus give us his real flesh and blood for the life of the world? Or was it only his symbolic flesh and blood? A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Three little pigs were listening to Catholic Radio on the GRN and heard that the GRN was raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. So they went to grnonline.com, bought five tickets for $100, and waited for their name to be drawn at the end. So, who's your favorite GRN station manager? I like them all, but especially Joe McLean. Confessions at 5. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Praise God, how was your day? I don't know what you're dealing with today, but we'll be praying for your intentions here in a moment. We are going to have a great show this hour. We just finished a conversation with Dr. Joseph Stewart about the Enlightenment and the French Revolution and how it has come down to us today and maybe how we can see that from a new perspective. But uh, this hour, we're going to have a conversation with Sarah Cortez. There is a, uh, a Catholic Lenten writing contest for 16 and older that I am humbly participating in. I have no idea why I'm qualified to do that. But uh, nonetheless, they've asked me, and I thought, that'll be fun. And, I, you know, my kids love to write, especially my older daughter, Mary Elizabeth. She is quite the writer. She's always writing things. Uh, and she really gets a lot out of it. It's very inspiring to me. Um, because as I, when I grew up, I didn't really, I wasn't a good writer. I certainly was not a good reader to see my kids, uh, love to read and voraciously read and then love to write. It's very inspiring as a parent. So I thought this would be a great conversation to have. I'm sure there's lots of parents out there who have kids who love to write. Well, this, uh, a writing contest that they could participate in. So we'll have that conversation in this hour. Plus more breaking news and stories with Emily. Alcarez. Uh, good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing? Praise God, I'm alive. And that counts. It, yes, it does. I'm also alive. Yes. <laughs> also Thank alive. God. Thank the good Lord for that. But uh, we uh, lots of lots still to talk about in the news, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's never it's never a dull moment anymore. Oh, absolutely not. Especially not in the 2021 seems to be getting just as crazy as 2020. I'm sure, you know, 40 years ago, people felt the same. You know, like oh, there's yeah. always something in the headlines, but it really feels more intense now. Mm-hmm. Like every day you wake up, you're like, oh, wow, there's going to be some shoe that's dropped overnight. Right. Well, imagine living through the Great World Wars. 
I know. I, they probably yeah. felt in a similar way. I have a Norman Rockwell uh, picture that was uh, uh, given to me as a gift of uh, parents tucking their their kids in in the bed at night, and Dad has in his hand a newspaper that talks about uh, you know the um, uh, uh, the Pearl Harbor. Oh. You know, the December 7th Pearl Harbor Day, mm-hmm. you know, and you just get this sense of like this parents are feeling the, the, the weight of the yeah. world and wanting to keep their parent, their kids safe from that. And I, I feel that. I feel that now. Yeah. I worry about the future for my children. So at any rate, before we go down that rabbit hole too long this morning, <laughs> good morning to you, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning. How are you doing? Y'all, y'all are just bundles of joy this morning. I love, <laughs> I love hearing y'all. I have a note I'm here actually... that says avoid rabbit holes. Well, <laughs> I, I guess I could put that note away. It's no longer, no longer any good. Uh, also on the program today, uh, more lighter fare is going to be the saint of the day, the gospel of the day. Of course, we have our trivia game show, and uh, we have a new opportunity to have a new contestant. And if you've played before, well, let's give a pause there and let someone else who's not played have a chance. But we have a huge gift pack this week, right, Emily? That's right. We're giving away a 20-book set from Tan Books. Yeah, praise God. And it's like a $200 value. We'll, we'll yep. pull the winner out tomorrow. So if you want to be a contestant, stay tuned. Your opportunity is fast approaching uh, here in the next 10 minutes, and you'll have three opportunities to get in on that drawing, plus our conversation with Sarah Cortez and more on Catholic Drive Time. Let's bring our intentions to the Queen of Heaven and Earth and ask for her intercession, whatever your needs are, whatever your intentions are, dear listener. I'm including those in this prayer, plus my own intentions for my family, for our our team here at the Guadalupe Radio Network, for the repose of the soul of Armando. By the way, real quick, we are going to do a special broadcast for Armando in the next hour. I'd love for you to stick around for that. Uh, but whatever your intentions are, let's ask Our Lady to whisper them into the ear of her son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcarez. President Donald Trump is now the first American president to have been impeached twice. The House of Representatives voted on Wednesday afternoon to impeach President Donald Trump, charging him with incitement of insurrection and claiming that his rhetoric surrounding the 2020 election roused a mob of his supporters to storm the U.S. Capitol last week as Congress convened to certify President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College victory. The resolution was approved by a vote of 232 to 197 after all Democratic members of the House and 10 Republicans voted in favor of impeaching the president. If the impeachment article is withheld until after Senate control flips to the Democrats on January 20th, a trial could potentially be held after Trump has already left office. A federal appeals court heard arguments on whether public university officials can be held personally liable for religious discrimination. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments on Wednesday in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship versus University of Iowa. The case of a Christian group kicked off the school's campus because of its faith-based policy requiring leaders to be Christians. In 2018, InterVarsity Christian was notified by the university that its standards violated the school's non-discrimination policy. 
Daniel Bloomberg, senior counsel at Beckett, the law firm defending InterVarsity Christians, said, University officials who target individuals or groups based on religion must be held accountable for their actions. Legislators in North Dakota introduced a bill that would force priests to break the sacramental seal of confession in cases of abuse. The bill, called SB 2180, would amend that law to abolish the exception that allows priests to keep the seal of confession. If it's passed, priests who failed to report child abuse, even if revealed within the sacrament, would be considered guilty of a misdemeanor and could face jail time. Priests are bound by canon law and divine law to keep the contents of a confession confidential and are not even allowed to reveal whether or not a confession has taken place. According to canon law, violating the seal of confession could incur an excommunication. Australia's financial crime watchdog is now saying it vastly overestimated the Vatican transfers. An Australian newspaper reported yesterday that the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Center, a government agency, attributed the miscalculation to a computer coding error. Working with the Vatican's Supervisory and Financial Information Authority, Austrac found that there were 362 transfers from the Vatican to Australia between 2014 and 2020, amounting to $7.4 million. Austrac had originally believed that over $91 million were sent from Australia to the Vatican during this period. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Blessed Devasahayam Pillai, uh, pray for us. He was born April 23rd, 1712 in India, raised in a high-caste Hindu family. He knew multiple languages. He studied the martial arts and archery, uh, one of my favorite uh, sporting activities, actually. He had a civil service job, and his life was quite good, actually. But in 1741, Devasahayam met a French prisoner of war who shared his Catholic faith with him. Imagine that. And in 1745, he was welcomed into the Catholic faith, baptized in the Diocese of Qatar in India, and he took the name of Devasahayam, which means Lazarus. Well, Lazarus began to mix it up with the lower classes, which was strictly forbidden in India at the time. And he was sharing his Catholic faith. He was trying to bring people home and into the church. So he was arrested on February the 23rd, 1749. They tortured him for three days, and then they drug him around village after village to make an example out of him publicly, you know, warning people not to convert to the Christian faith. But he prayed. He fasted, he endured all of the humiliations and the difficulties of this moment in life, and priests secretly brought him communion when and where possible. But it was on January the 14th, 1752, that he was executed, martyred for the faith by firing squad. They took his body and they threw it on a pile of rocks and left him for the animals to devour. Whatever was left over was collected by the Christian community there. And brought to the uh, and buried in front of the altar of Saint Francis in Qatar, India. He'd be canonized February the twenty-first, two thousand twenty, by Pope Francis. Blessed Devashahayam Pillai, pray for us. The gospel comes to us from Mark chapter one, verses forty through forty-five. A leper came at a leper came to him and kneeling down begged him and said, "If you wish, you can make me clean." Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then, warning him sternly, 
he dismissed him at once. Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, in all things. Um, I just love reading these passages. I know we read the, the Matthew version of this passage not all that long ago, maybe even last week, if I recall correctly. And we saw the leprosy, you know, breaking that barrier, touching the leprous person, even in an age of, of, of the pandemic where we're social distancing, masking up and all of the rest. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see Christ not live in a state of fear, but rather in a state of supernatural uh, courage and grace and faith. I know he's God that gives him a distinct advantage over you and me for sure. However, uh, it's a beautiful thing to see, to reach past that fear and to touch the person because there's such a need in the human experience to have that touch, that intimacy, that connection, uh, especially if you feel ostracized. And we've seen that in this year of, uh, or this last year and a half of, of pandemoniums, let's just say. Uh, people have been feeling ostracized. We've seen depression on, on the rise and, and suicides on the rise and, and addictions on the rise and abuse on the rise. And these people, these le lepers, were ostracized from society. So, to have this uh, intimate moment between the two and be able to reflect on that, I believe, is very, very powerful. Again, Jesus is uh, keeping the law perfectly because it would be his sacrifice on the cross that would perfect the law, that would that would uh, bring everything to consummation, right? It's a beautiful thing to see that Jesus was, in fact, truly religious. So, all the criticisms of Christianity being nothing more than a personal relationship uh, with the Lord, that well, our Lord doesn't even demonstrate that. He has a personal relationship and a religious relationship. We see that here as well. And of course, he is trying to avoid the sensationalism, the temptation, the near occasion of sin to be caught up in the, in the sensationalist uh, healer, right? He's the healer. He's the military leader who's come to free us from Roman occupation. He's the here and now guy versus the what's to come man, the man who is the God man who's come to heal us, yes, but more than that, to bring us to eternity, to save our souls, to bring us into the beatific vision. That is the ultimate goal. That is the, the end uh, that we seek, and that is what he's brought. So, he can't get caught up. He can't allow himself to be caught up into the here and the now. So, it's a beautiful thing. A couple minutes on the clock. Emily, Adrian, anything? Yeah, of course, this story brings to mind the sacrament of confession. We see the, the leper coming, someone who is unclean, and kneeling down, begging Christ to make him clean. And this makes you think, Going to confession, kneeling down, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's the same thing. And what we see is Christ is moved with pity. And so in the same way, Christ is waiting for us at any moment to come begging for him to cleanse us of our sins in the sacrament of confession, which is why, you know, we were talking about confession in the uh, news earlier today. This sacrament is so powerful and so important for us to make us clean and to allow us to be united with Christ. And of course, it's so funny that um, Jesus tells the man not to tell anyone. And the, the Bible commentaries that I was reading before say, of course, Christ knew all. He knew that the man was going to tell people, but he said, don't tell anyone what happened. Because he wanted to show us that we shouldn't do good works for the praise mm. that we receive. Amen. Adrian? Adrian? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, other thing was the fact that uh, St. Thomas talks about how the he's because he's reading from the the Vulgate, which in the Dewey Rames translation of the Vulgate, it translates not to that they, Christ doesn't go into a city. He goes does not go into the city. And so the reason the distinction there is the fact that. Our Lord didn't go into that city anymore to do miracles. Why? Because everyone there was puffed up with pride due to the fact that the uh, that everybody was like, oh my gosh, uh, there's miracles happening in our city. Uh, so people were puffed up with pride, and then our Lord decided to no longer do miracles there and instead went into the wilderness. It, that's a good contrast to the, the man with the leprosy who's saying, if you will it, you like humbly coming to the mm-hmm. Lord and asking for, uh, having faith to know that he is p- capable of healing him, uh, but uh, in humility is asking them him for, for this healing. And I love how the leprosy o- obeys, just like the fever did with the mother-in-law yesterday, and the devils have to obey. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything obeys the Lord, even the fig tree obeys the Lord. So let us obey the Lord today. How about that? <laughs> We're going to go to break and we come back. Our trivia game show is next up. Your opportunity to possibly win a $200 value prize pack from Tan Books uh, is upon you. You have three chances. All you need to do is be a call at 877-757-9424. First caller right now gets to be that contestant. Could be you. If you've never played, this is your chance. 877-757-9424. You don't even need to know the answers. 877-757-9424 is the number to call. Call now. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read Scripture. Read the Catechism. Listen to Apologetics tapes. Listen to Catholic Radio. Learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5, verse 10. Do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes, and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, sacraments, all in rapid fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know, when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation 
by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ and all things. Welcome back to uh, Catholic Drive Time in our Fear and Trembling Game Show. I'm your host, Joe McClain. It's so good to be on with you, and we're very excited to bring you another episode of Fear and Trembling, an opportunity to learn a little bit about your faith, have a chuckle in the process, and prizes are involved, and it's super fun. So here's how the game works. For If, if you're just joining us and you've never heard this before, here's what happens. I've got three questions in my hand, all Catholic trivia questions, and I do not ask the caller any of these questions. In fact, I, I ask Emily and I ask Adrian, uh, which have conspired together to have a right and a wrong answer, right? And so the caller will have 15 seconds to decide who is right and who is wrong. All they have to do is, who do they want to go with, Emily or Adrian? And then if they get it right, they'll go into the coffee cup of divine providence, and they'll have three chances to do that. And if uh, we're going to pull a winner out tomorrow, I think, and the winner, what, are the, what does the winner get, Emily? Tell them what they could win, Emily. That was perfect, Adrian. Well done. We're getting there. <laughs> so... This week's sponsor, Tan Books, tanbooks.com, is giving away the Mary Fabian Windet Lives of the Saints 20 book set. Now, these are children's books. So, if you have kids, grandkids, or you want to get some books for your parish uh, religious education program, a 20 book saint, teach your kids all about the saints. You can get it for free by calling in to our show and possibly winning, or it's also on sale for $96 on their website, although it's usually over 200 it's a good deal. And I mean, $200 a deal is a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. All right. Praise be to Jesus. Let's, uh, oh, by the way, I just want to mention before we jump on the phone with our contestant today, there was a bunch of calls that came in. God love you. Thank you, everyone who it tries to call in and be a part of the show. We're very grateful to see that. It really encourages us. But, uh, Rocio is calling in this morning. Good morning to you, Rocio. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Where are you calling from, Rocio? I am calling from Chicago. Chicago. Well, praise be to God. Yes. Uh, what part of Chicago are you? North side, South side? Are you Cubs, White Sox? Uh, how do you how do you uh, how do you shake up there? Um, I'm a South side Cubs fan. South side Ooh. Cubs fan. I grew up fan. in the North side, so I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> you grew up in the North side, but you live in the South side, and you're a Cubs fan. Okay, I don't yes. want to get you in any more trouble than that. But uh, what, what parish do you go to, Rocio? I go to St. Bede, the Venerable, on the south side. How wonderful. Praise be to God. Uh, so, uh, yes. you, do you understand how the game is played, Rocio? Do you, do you, you understand what how this is all going to go down today? I do. I li- listen often, yes. How wonderful. Praise God. It's so good to have you on from Chicago this morning. All right. Well, then, there you go. Uh, Emily, as is our custom, we will start with you. Are you ready? Yes. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Let's do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, give the Hebrew name... Meaning, God is my judge. So the Hebrew name that means God is my judge is... Okay, so we know it's going to be a name ending in L because in Hebrew, L is the term for, generic term for God. Wow. So it's one of the L's. Could it be Gabriel, Raphael? No, it's Daniel. 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 You're sure? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, can you give us the name, the Hebrew name that means God is my judge? Hmm. Okay, so she already gave me a hint, so it's an L name. <laughs> it's an L name. Uh, I'm going to go with Kellel. Kellel. Yeah. Who is that? 
Don't worry about that. Okay, so Adrian's on the board for Kellel. Why are you you laughing? I don't understand. And Emily is on the board for Daniel. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who knows? Uh, maybe Rocio knows. Emily. Oh, wow, no hesitation. You didn't even wait the 10 feet. You had 15 seconds to work with. You used less than half, and you got it right. I, gee, I yes. don't know how that happened. Adrian, I can't even imagine how she, how she figured that one out so fast. Kellel is Superman. Kellel is Superman. Adrian! That's why I was laughing. I'm like, Kellel. I, I actually thought it was a Bible name. I was like, there's a lot of people in the Bible. Yeah. By the way, we should have a whole show on the parallels between uh, Superman, Superman and the yes and honestly, the Messiah. What? Oh my gosh. Oh yes. yes. You didn't know? It's no. a Moses story. It's oh. written by Jews. That's why he has uh, the last name L. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. <laughs> All right. So congratulations, Rocio. You are in the coffee cup of divine providence for one try to win the uh, prize pack from Tan Publishing. $200 value this week. Congratulations. You must feel good about that. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Very excited. All right. Well, here we go. Try number two. We'll start with Adrian this time. Adrian, are you ready? Yes, sir. Here we go. Uh, Are we obliged to restore to the owner stolen goods of their value? So in other words, if we steal something from someone, are we obliged to restore to that owner stolen goods of or the value of those goods? Mm. Yeah, this is actually this is a trick question, really. But the answer is yes. In general, yes, you must uh, return it uh, or provide an equal value uh, if you're able to. So I'm going to go with the most correct answer (laughs) in this one. So if you are able, you're capable to do it, you are obliged to do it. At least that's a better answer than Kellel. Okay, let's see what Emily has to say. Emily, uh, if we were to steal something from someone, would we be obligated to restore to that owner the items or the value of those items? Well, I don't know, because in some cases, people might not be able to make restitution. They might be able not be able to afford it, so I'm going to say no. All right, so Emily's on the board with no. Adrian is on the board with yes, but whenever possible. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rocio, what say you? I'm going with Adrian on this one. Survey says... Congratulations. Oh. It's nice for people to go with me every now yes. and then. So, in fact, if you have uh, in in the, in your history, your past, as I have when I was a kid, I stole Thrasher magazines from convenience stores. Thrasher. I don't know what it is. Now, here's an opportunity. If you don't have the ability to make restitution to a business that's no longer in business, uh, like uh, stealing uh, you know albums from Kmart like I did as a kid, uh, you can actually offer that extra penance into the offer. Basket at mass, you could give the value of those items as a gift back to the church. That's Just good to know. A little pro tip there for you, free of charge. All right, Rocio, two times in the coffee cup of divine providence. Congratulations, third times here. You might have a perfect score, but I'm going to warn you: this next question is a little tricky. So let's uh, let's uh, listen very carefully here. Emily, back to you. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Y- yes. Okay. Here we go. What is the term for the e- e- no? Let me start over. What is the term for the quality possessed by the church, which guarantees it will last until the end of time? What is the term for the quality possessed by the church, which guarantees it will last until the end of time? So when we pray about the church and the creed, we call it one holy Catholic and apostolic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's one of those four. 
if I had to choose one, I would go with apostolic because we know the apostolic history and nature of the church go- spreads throughout all the time. Apostolic is your answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it could be reasonable. It sounds reasonable. Adrian, what is the term for the quality possessed by the church which guarantees that it will last until the end of time? Yeah, that is the indefectibility of the church because the church, as stated by our Lord, that the gates of hell will not prevail against her, his church, and that's indefectibility. Indefectibility. Yes, so, sir. Emily is on the board for apostolic. Adrian is on the board for indefectibility. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rocio, what say you? Oh my goodness, you weren't <laughs> kidding. This is a little <laughs> Now, let me give you a hint. The, uh, the, uh, the term for indefectibility as uh, is defined under Merriam-Webster as not subject to failure or decay, lasting. Apostolic means the succession of the apostles. That's your only hint, and I don't give out hints I'll go usually. With Adrian? <laughs> Survey says Whoa! I gave that away. Hardcore. I cannot believe You're, you just gave that answer. I felt totally. It's like you just. Gave I had the Catholic guilt. Away. Okay, I had Catholic <laughs> guilt. guilt. I felt like I was just being a little too hard on that question, but uh, congratulations. Usually, the third one's the easy one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's this one's so easy. Did you notice she just profiled She's us? She's figured you out. Joe. She's figured out our, <laughs> our method. Oh wow, Rocio, Rocio is there any? Sharp. Do you have any children you could give this to if you win? Oh, definitely. I have an eight-year-old son, yes. How wonderful. Nine-year-old. Sorry, nine. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. My mom forgets how old I am, too. Well, God is very good, Rocio. We're very excited that you called in today from uh, sunny Chicago, I'm sure. Uh, but you have three opportunities in the divine uh, the coffee cup of divine providence to win the $200 value price pack from 10 publishing children's books. We'll draw a winner out tomorrow after the show. Uh, after the game, and uh, you might be Im- among them. So praise God. Uh, congratulations and good luck to you. I'm going to put you on hold so we get your information, but thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank all three of you. God bless. Amen. God bless you too. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to have more breaking news and stories after the break, and Sarah Cortez is here. There's a Catholic writing contest coming up. I want to tell you all about it. We'll be right back. Uh, Having trouble with your car radio? No worries, the Guadalupe Radio Network has just released our new version of our app. With the app, you can get a crystal clear connection of your local station no matter where you are. You can also listen to podcasts of past shows and find more ways to connect with us. Getting the new app is easy. Just search the app store on your phone for the Guadalupe Radio Network and either download it or if you already have it, choose the update option. Happy listening. Have you ever dialogued with someone who espouses relativism, which says there is no truth or it might be true for you, but not for me? It's pretty frustrating. Deep down, we know these claims are false, but we often don't know why. Here's the reason. To say there is no truth is a contradiction. The assertion is tantamount to saying it's true that there is no truth, plain absurdity. Now, the other position, there is no absolute truth, just truth relative to the individual set of beliefs, is problematic as well. The usage of the verb is implies an assertion about the objective order of things. It's the same thing as saying it's absolutely true that there is no absolute truth, which of course is a contradiction. No matter how the relativist slices the pie, he ends up with a contradiction, making relativism an unreasonable worldview. 
I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. You're crazy! Deep within, we struggle. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. Because sin separates us from God. She's in a relationship with George. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines. The governor of South Dakota is calling for a ban on Down syndrome abortions. Governor Kristi Noem received a standing ovation on Tuesday after she asked legislators to pass a law that would end the eugenic termination of babies with an extra chromosome. Other states in recent years, including Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, and Mississippi, have enacted bans on abortions conducted because of a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. South Dakota was one of the states to sign on to a brief supporting Tennessee's discrimination abortion ban before the courts. In November, 18 states supported Tennessee's law banning abortions based on an unborn child's race, sex, or Down syndrome diagnosis. <laughs> the state of Texas will no longer provide Medicaid funds to abortion providers such as Planned Parenthood. A majority opinion of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued on November issued on November 23rd ruled that abortion providers and their customers could not challenge Texas' decision to withhold Medicaid funds from Planned Parenthood. The state's determination of qualified Medicaid providers is between the state and the provider, the court ruled. A representative for the Texas bishops said, quote, We are grateful that Texas has taken finally taken the steps to fully remove abortion providers from all state Medicaid funding. The legislator has acted responsibly to remove funding from the state budget and the recent actions to complete the defunding are welcomed by the Catholic bishops in Texas. The only woman on federal death row was executed early on Wednesday morning. Lisa Montgomery received the death penalty despite her attorney's arguments that her severe mental illness rendered her unable to understand why she was being killed. Montgomery's attorney says, say she has brain damage and severe mental illness, including diagnosis of bi bipolar disorder, dissociative disorder, psychosis, and post-traumatic stress disorder associated with being a victim of abuse and human trafficking. Montgomery was sentenced to death for the 2004 murder of Bobby Jo Stinnett after cutting her baby out of the pregnant woman's body. Several U.S. bishops spoke out against Montgomery's execution and called for an end to the death penalty. In his general audience address yesterday, Pope Francis urged Catholics on Wednesday to praise God not only in happy times, but above all, in difficult moments. Continuing his catechesis on the different forms of prayer, the Holy Father said, quote, Giving praise is like breathing pure oxygen. It purifies the soul. It makes you look far ahead so as not to remain imprisoned in the difficult moment in the darkness of difficulty. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Thursday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, thank you, Emily, for reading the news and keeping us up to date. Uh, joining us right now in studio, which is a rare thing to happen, actually, on Catholic Drive Times, to have an in-studio guest is Sarah Cortez, and she is the founder of Catholic Literary Arts. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, Joe. Well, we got to turn your mic on. Good morning oh. to you, Sarah. All righty. Good morning. <laughs> there we go. Good morning to everyone. Yeah, praise God. It always works the second time. <laughs> it's good to have you on now. Catholic Literary Arts, uh, it's, uh, 
It's an organization we haven't featured yet in Catholic Drive Time, so let's start with that. What is Catholic Literary Arts? We're a nonprofit based in Houston, Texas. Our mission is to guide, train, educate, and mentor Catholic writers of all ages. Yeah. Part of our programming uh, starts in second and third grade, and we just continue uh, from there. Wow. We, we teach people uh, writing skills. We try to provide content, including lesson plans, mm. uh, but teaching uh, critique groups, memberships, uh, guidance for writing careers. We provide all of that, Joe, to raise up the strong and vibrant voices in children's, teens, and adults. Amen. And whether they want to write about, quote-unquote, explicitly religious and sacred topics, or they want to write about, you know, dance halls. I mean, what, you know... <laughs> what, Do they still call them dance halls? I'm uh, yeah. just well, what, are the, what are the kids saying these we're days? In te- oh, well, that, I mean, I'm, I'm several decades too old to know about that, you know. But, uh, you know, when you want to put on your boots and your jeans and you want to go somewhere and, you know, have those red solo cups, you know, full of uh, alcoholic beverage. Sounds like you know what you're talking about, and, Sarah. And, and uh, dance two-step, Joe, you go to uh, good go old to Texas dance hall in a small That's town funny. okay <laughs> now did you uh did you grow up writing Sarah? you know for the most part i didn't joe but here's what's more important i think for me i grew up dreaming of being a writer really dreaming and dreaming it was my deepest dream yeah. and like many of us since it was my deepest dream i did nothing about it because oh. i was so scared to fail you know, when you That's have a very, very us, deep yeah. dream, mm-hmm. you're so scared to fail, you can spend most of your life not following your dream. So when did that change for you? So it changed in in my late 30s. Mm-hmm. I took my first writing course. Uh, I had, a, at that time, a full-time corporate job. I, did, I took a writing course at night. Uh, I was lucky. God really blessed me. Of course, He blesses all of us, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I had a terrific teacher. I started out as a literary short story writer. Mm-hmm. I uh, progressed eventually. I'm best known probably for poetry. Mm-hmm. But at this point, almost every type of writing there is, whether it's, you know, sort of academic writing, poetry, memoir, spiritual memoir, traditional essay, newspaper writing, uh, law enforcement. Of course, I have a 26 years now in as a law enforcement professional, um, both full-time and as a reserve officer. But I write that. Uh, you know, I have been lucky enough to have good teachers, excellent mentors, and, and a lot of uh, kicks by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Strong kicks by the Holy Spirit. So our organization, Joe, is founded to help other people because I have been told, I've been a public speaker for like 20 years, mm-hmm. and I kept getting told, even at uh, what we would call purely secular events, like book festivals and you know other things that I was hired to come and teach or, or, or do a pre- uh, speech presentation, I kept getting told just, by people, they're saying, I am scared to go to my book club because if I mention the word God or Jesus, they're going to laugh me, laugh at me, mm-hmm. or they're going to kick me out, mm-hmm. or everybody in there, without even realizing I'm, I'm Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopal or Baptist or whatever, they're all the time uh, saying nasty things about God. They're saying they're insulting the Blessed Virgin Mary. They're doing this or doing that. So people of faith, of all faith, people mm-hmm. of goodwill, even um, th- 
in the literary world, the writing world, the publishing world, there are very few places for those people to go anymore. Mm. And these are things people were telling me eight and ten years ago, and it's part and parcel of why I founded Catholic Literary Arts. That's amazing. So, uh, forgive me for sort of getting off in a personal story. No, I wanted to hear that. We're talking with Sarah Cortez, uh, and she is the founder of Catholic Literary Arts, and there's a writing contest uh, that she's hosting for the Lenten season for, for ages 16 and up, and we want to talk about that. Um, but I really wanted to get the backstory a little bit, because you know um, my kids, you know my kids, yes. uh, in, all, in disclosure, uh, we've known Sarah now for years, and, and my oldest daughter in particular is one of your biggest fans. and uh, she, Likewise, likewise. She loves... <laughs> To write, and as I got to tell you, Sarah, I grew up um, not the brightest bulb in the in the batch, as they say. I did not like to read. I mm-hmm. felt it was hard work. It, I didn't like to write. I probably still don't properly know how to use a comma, um, nor do I care anymore. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I had a great difficulty. I love to read now. But it, it's, it's a labor of love. It's harder for me now. But I love to do it. I love to read, especially histories or whatever. Um, so as a dad, looking at my kids uh, growing up, I, I am just so inspired and blown away by how much they love to read na- as, as children. And my daughter is such a voracious writer. She's always writing something. I can see she, she often sits there on the couch and just lost in a story in her mind. And then she tries yeah. to put that on, uh, and she she writes. I got her a, a, a laptop to be able to write that in in uh, and get it down. And I'm just so inspired by watching my kids go through this. And I I kind of a little jealous because it's it's you know too late for me, but for them it's a beautiful thing. Have you seen that in many uh, other cases and families? Absolutely, because uh, at this point, Joe, uh, this next June will be our third year of uh, Fearless Catholic Writing Camp oh, wow. for kids. And just for your listeners who don't know, we we teach, we give kids writing skills from third uh, students from third to twelfth grade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and Mary Elizabeth has been with us uh, for two years now, and we have a significant number of return students every summer, and especially those students who we re- who return. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, both the students and the parents are coming to us and saying, "You know, my son feels now he he has maybe some talent." <laughs> I mean, and, wow. and the first, even the first year, we had uh, pretty much all the kids come to us and say, you know, I used to be afraid to write. Yeah. I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. We have uh, moms of third graders in our after school programs because we also teach uh, in some of the Catholic schools once a week during fall and spring semester. Um, and those parents send notes to our teachers mm-hmm. and to me, and they say, you know, I used to have to hunt down my daughter. To get her to write a thank you note to, to her grandparents for Christmas <laughs> gifts, uh-huh. and now she's she she hunts me down. Mm-hmm. She has her paper. She wants to write. So if if we can instill that power and joy mm-hmm. of create creating with words, what, then that will carry on with that student. Can you know just for the rest of their life. Yeah. And writing is something, as you're a be- beautiful illustration of, you have a, a full-time career doing something very different, mm-hmm. uh, that you spend a lot of time and effort, you're a well-known professional in your career, yet you write. You are pro- you write a lot. I, I Well, I have, but it, it, I, it's, it feels forced That's in okay. many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, the spiritual advice, the wise spiritual advice we, mm-hmm. we always get, like, 
you can pray, but just because you feel that God is not there doesn't mean God isn't there? Sure. Well, so you can write and it can feel hard. It always feels hard to me, and I have 13 books out, okay? Well, to me, to <laughs> me feels writing feels like uh, doing sit-ups, you know, or going for a jog. It's just like a lot of hard work, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I wonder, is it all worth it? You know, that's... But it honestly, is. It, it is... Uh, I've had moments in my life where I felt really inspired, especially on apologetics. I used to write a lot of apologetics articles, um, you know, and I felt really inspired in those moments to... to, to get, I had it all in my heart. And recently... I wrote a treaty on a short film, and I really felt inspired on that. And I was bugging Adrian the whole weekend, and I just I got it all out on paper in a weekend. And now I feel like oh, I don't have to think about it anymore. Now it's I have on to paper. write it onto a script. Well, yeah. I, I, the one step at a time. But uh, so I, I think it's beautiful because, and I like to see that you do it with kids. More yeah. than just us old people, uh, because you're giving them confidence at an early yes. age that will last the rest of their life. Yes. Right? It'll, yes. So you, it's like you're getting a more bang for your buck by making sure the kids get that experience at that age. It'll last decades. You yes. know what I mean? I think it's powerful. Yes. That's, that's the goal. And that's why when I hire teachers, I hire professional educators. Mm. Because there's certain skills that professional educators have about teaching and classroom management that that are going to pay off uh, both in the short term and long term for our students and um, you know it just doesn't get any better than that Joe when I Amen. get anyway well we're talking with Sarah Cortez Catholic Literary Arts uh, catholicliteraryarts.org is the website we'll post a link to it or we we have already I see on facebook.com forward slash grn online let's transition to this writing contest that's yeah. coming up for the season of Lent tell me all about this okay well this is a big deal this is uh, we decided our board decided that we wanted to get d uh, deeper and richer of a, a relationship with communities. We are in the process uh, through our membership function uh, of building community. Actually, we have members and entries to contest worldwide now. Wow. And this is only our second liturgical season contest. Mm -hmm. So our board decided, let's do a liturgical season contest. We call for original work up to 250 words. It can be poetry. It can be prose. And it's a short contest. only lasts about a month. It started Feb uh, excuse me, January 7th, and it will go until February 7th, wow. midnight. And we ask people, the, th our, the theme of our Lenten contest is walking with Christ. Mm -hmm. Walking with Christ. So we, we're, we're, call, we're, again, going back to the idea of raising up the voices. There are so many people that want to write that want to express something deep in their heart or soul or mind about the Blessed Virgin Mary, perhaps, or Christ in this case. Um, and we want to give people an outlet to express that and, and, and win a little bit of prize money <laughs> and meet uh, the judge, and in this case, the judge is you, Joe. So we, <laughs> I, I don't know how you ended up with me as a judge, but okay, praise God. We're looking forward to it. Well, you're following in good steps. The judge of our Advent contest uh, was Maggie Gallagher, hmm. the executive director of the Benedict Sixteenth Institute, a dear friend of mine, of mine and of Catholic Literary Arts. People are ex excited about meeting those in the Catholic world, the mm -hmm. Catholic arts world, that are beyond their normal scope. So, 
there you go, Joe. Joe. You're, 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 I mean, you're a big name. You're an awesome professional. That's funny. You're, you, you always, when I call you to ask a question or, or whatever, you always pick up the phone and you always spend time helping me and so many others. And people are excited. They want to meet you. They want. Good. Praise God. Anyway, well, I'm looking this forward is exciting. to it. Yeah. I, I'm barely containing my excitement over here yeah. because I've always loved writing. I was working on a poem last night. But for me, it's always been so astounding that there was sort of like a drop-off in, ca- in Catholic writers at a certain point. Um, I believe that we have some of the greatest writing material. I mean, God's mysteries are endless. And yet we have the, a couple names that we can point to, St. John of the Cross, Flannery O'Connor, uh, Evelyn Waugh. But what happened? Like now all of the, the Catholic writing has kind of disappeared from the culture, and that's really something that's lacking. And so why do you think it's so important to bring Catholic art back into the culture well you know the cult our culture is dying i mean face it our, mm-hmm. our West, western christendom is dead and we are now in the process of rebuilding it so if we're gonna we ourselves as humans can't do it uh god has to do it with our help so as we say those deep deep uh, uh, begging prayers to our Lord uh, through the intercession of Our Lady, we also have to work here on earth. And one of the most uh, useful entries to meet God is art, is sacred art. So we are, that's why we're so passionate about writing and in some of our contests and other contests, we also use Catholic uh, sacred art, but we want people to use the writing not only for their own inspiration, but the inspiration of others. Yeah. And I will tell you, it's a little bit underground, but frankly, there's a tremendously inspiring renaissance of Catholic letters uh, right now. The devotional work, like the, the Scott Hahn and the, the, all those many wonderful authors, they're awesome. They're great. My bookshelves are filled with them. I love reading them. But beyond that, for people who want to go in, in a more literary direction, there is also tremendously good work being created. So we're in the process mm. of, of connecting. One of the winners of our Advent contest we ran in December was this, inc- she's this incredible poet, a uh, Benedictine nun in a convent in England. Oh, wow. We pick five winners. Each each contest has a first prize winner and four runner-ups. That's what part of, that is what you'll be choosing, Joe. <laughs> no pressure uh, or anything. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, so, yes, we have to write, we have to create, we have to be bold, mm-hmm. and we have to give both kids and other adults the model of being fearless Catholics. Yeah. I really think that's so important. The only reason I can be fearless about being known as a Catholic and be known as a Catholic writer in a mm-hmm. literary world that uh, does not want to hear that is because I have those who've gone before me Paul Mariani, Dana Joya, James Matthew Wilson, some of these outstanding lights of the Catholic, contemporary Catholic letters in America. We're talking with Sarah Cortez about uh, CatholicLiteraryArts.org and this contest that's coming up for, it's 16 and older, right? It's If you are 16 or older at the date uh, you submit your submission, we want to see that submission. So you have until midnight... Uh, Sunday, February the 7th, to get your entries in. That is correct. $5 per entry. Correct. 
And uh, the winners, and how many categories will there be? Well, there's just one category. Okay. Uh, po- poetry and prose are, are chosen, uh, are judged just exactly the same. Okay. So there's just one category. And the winner will get a cash prize, but they'll get more than that, right? They'll get more than that. They'll get the opportunity to meet you virtually, Joe. Oh, wow, praise God. <laughs> In fact, we have a Eventbrite link on the website, so uh, not only the people who enter the contest, but people who, like their friends and family. Yeah. We had an amazing uh, winner's e- virtual event with Maggie Gallagher. Uh, everybody's friends and family wanted to see the the winning uh Writers will read their work out loud. Uh, people will get a chance to comment, sort of visit. We'll find out where people are. We yeah. have an amazing set of new members just here in Houston. Yeah, praise God. Yeah. But it's open to the whole world. It's open to the entire world, as long as your entry is in English. The, the entries have to be written in English. And the website, please go to the website. Uh, the it's on Facebook. It's on a lot of Catholic Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. But to really understand the nitty gritty uh, contest submissions, um, I encourage all people to go to the website. CatholicLiteraryArts.org is the website. Again, we've posted a link to it over at Facebook.com forward slash GRN online. It's a great place to find it. But if you just go to CatholicLiteraryArts.org, you'll also find the details for the writing contest. And I uh, get to be the judge of this. So my daughter asked me last night, Dad, are, are you qualified to be a judge? Or she goes, do you need my help? Do you need my I'll help you. I'll figure this out. I'm like, I might need your help. I probably do. But it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to uh, to read the submissions, and then we'll we'll, we'll have a live uh, uh, sort of award ceremony, I guess. Yeah. And then we'll get to hear them read their, their pieces, as you said, and, and give out the prize. It's going to be a lot of fun. And that takes place on the 15th. Uh, let me check my notes, Joe. Winners will be announced on... Uh, the the fi- winners are announced on... Um, let's see... The, uh, you choose the winners by the 15th. We put them on our website by the 16th, and our Zoom celebration with you is February 23rd, yeah. 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So check it out. CatholicLiteraryArts.org is the website. It's the Linton Catholic Writing Contest, uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity to help your children uh, grow in love for, for writing. You know, mm-hmm. praise God for that. And, I, and and as we said a minute ago, I think there's Emily. Uh, you and I were talking with Dr. Holly Ordway. This was that a day or two ago. Yeah, a couple of days ago about Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, and about how his life was deeply impacted by his faith, and how that's now impacted millions of lives around mm-hmm. the world. I mean, imagine yes. there's got to be another Tolkien out there somewhere. Yeah. And she, and it may be your daughter, Joe. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me either. She gets so lost in this story. I mean, and it's beautiful. I'm not saying yeah. that in a negative way. It is a beautiful thing for me to see. Um, and I wonder how many more parents are out there have uh, have children that are just waiting for that opportunity to have that spark fanned into a flame. Right. Right. What do you? We have only a few minutes left. What do you think yeah. are the biggest challenges for parents in helping their kids write? Uh, I think the biggest challenge is that uh, nobody uh, teaches parents how to teach writing. It's fairly obvious how to teach math. It's fairly <laughs> obvious how to memorize, you know, uh, you know, biology or geography. And in yeah. fact, I'll give a little preview. But in fact, our organization has been tapped to create a series of lesson plans wow. for 
parents, very specifically, not for teachers, but, but this first phase is for parents to be able to work with their children in poetry, <clears throat> sacred story, uh, fiction, an mm-hmm. essay. So we we will be enrolling that project on a na- nation nationwide basis later this spring. Wow, and that's amazing. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be called fearless writing. You know, uh, just I had a thought. You know, one of the there's a potential opportunity here. Maybe uh, since you're on the air, I can twist your arm publicly, and you can't say no. Right? <laughs> that's true. See how he's, I cornered that's you. True. Totally <laughs> set you up. Uh, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was uh-huh. produce a Christmas audio drama. But a, like a, a bespoke quiz, Christmas audio drama, and now that Adrian's on board, uh, I, we we can sort of uh, force this to happen. But we need a, a writer. Ah. Do you know any? You know any writers? <laughs> audio I, drama I'm, writers? I'm, I'm, maybe I don't know audio <laughs> drama, but you know, every, Joe, since all my degrees are in other things, I don't have a degree. In you're trying to wiggle writing. out of this. No, I no, think. listen, I, I listen. No, no, no. I can see squirming going on. <laughs> every every form of writing that I do or been have been publishing, I had to learn. So I'm not scared to learn a new form of writing, I guess. So that's uh, that, that hearing, sounds yes. like a yes to me, we, doesn't it? It's to you. Like a, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah. a yes-ish. I can learn Ish. how to do that. Yeah. Sure. And I would love to because I've yeah. heard uh, radio dramas I know. by people that you have interviewed. Yeah. Uh, uh, like maybe two years ago or so. That's right. I felt I used to, and also I used to be a stage actress. Really, this is a part of my life. It, you do not know about. So you can you can you can lend your voice at the very least. So <laughs> I could lend my voice, or uh, you know, I love stage drama. I love drama. Yeah, there's wonderful opportunities to create uh, not only literature but art, culture from a deeply Catholic like, foundation. And uh, and let that influence the society around us. And uh, what what? And you don't have to wait for, for for everything to line up. I think you just got to get after it and try. Well, listen. If the Holy Spirit blesses it, then it will succeed. Amen. Amen. Well, Sarah Cortez, CatholicLiteraryArts.org. Thanks for being on with us today. My pleasure. All right, uh, check out that writing camp. That or rather, not the writing camp. That's later in the summer. But rather, the uh, Lenten writing contest. Great opportunity for your 16-year-old or older. Just go to CatholicLiteraryArts.org for the details. Prizes are involved. It's a lot of fun. I get to be the judge. I'm super excited to read their works. I would encourage you to check that out and spread the word, CatholicLiteraryArts.org. But that's going to do it today for Catholic Drive Time. If you are able to join us in the next hour today, we're going to give a tribute to our colleague Armando Sanchez, who passed away due to COVID. We're going to spend an hour remembering and loving on our friend. If you join us, I'd be super grateful to you. But for all of us here at Catholic Drive Time, Emily Alcarez, Adrian Fonseca, God love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.